0: Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy Sad Confused, Josh Brolin returns to TV with Outer Range, plus a quick chat with David Lynch. Hey guys, I'm Josh Harowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy Sad Confused. I don't know what to say, guys. It's not just another edition of Happy, Say, Confused. It would be one thing if we were just talking about Josh Brolin, who is, frankly, someone i have wanted to have on the show for quite a long while. I'll tell you why in a second. It's all the obvious reasons. But we also have David Lynch on the show, guys. David frickin' Lynch. Um, I mean, he is really one of the reasons I love film. Stop. End of sentence. End of thought. Um, he is a true artist, and when I had the opportunity to catch up with him for a very brief chat, I will say that it's a brief 10, 11-minute chat, um, I couldn't resist. So you're going to hear that in just a second. Before we get to Josh and David Lynch, though, uh, one bit of a reminder, a bit of housekeeping. We have a very exciting event in New York City. If you are in town next week, next Thursday, April 21st, is our next live edition of Happy Sad Confused at the 92nd Street Y. And it's not just any event, it is featuring a screening of The Northman, which truly has had, I think, the best reviews of any film so far this year. It is the new work from Robert Eggers, he of The Witch and The Lighthouse fame. It is a truly brutal, gnarly, arty Viking action film um, that features a stellar uh, performance from Alexander Skarsgård at the center of it. After the screening, I will be sitting down with Alexander for a career chat. Uh, you know, the drill, the usual kind of happy, sad, confused conversation. Uh, it will be fun, silly, smart, entertaining, all of those things. I hope you guys will join us. Tickets are available right now. I'll put all the information in the show notes. You know what to do. Bring friends. Come along. See me and the dreamy actor that is Mr. Alexander Skarsgård, April 21st in New York City uh, following a screening of The Northmen. Okay, so that's the, the housekeeping. Now let's get on to the two main events. Um, let me talk about Josh Brolin first. So later on in the episode will be the full, normal kind of career chat with Josh Brolin. Um, and as I said, like on any normal week, that would be like the main event. And it is the main event. I mean, this is a, a great chat with one of my favorite actors out there. Talk about a guy that reinvented himself. Um, there's Josh Brolin prior to two thousand seven, he of the Goonies fame and various ups and downs, ups like fording with disaster. And then there's two thousand seven on Josh Brolin, who has had, you know, pretty much as great a career as any actor living today these last fifteen years, all starting with No Country for Old Men. Uh, and since then he's, you know, worked with the Cones a few times, he's worked with PTA, Oliver Stone, he's worked with Marvel Like, as the ultimate villain in the MCU, as Thanos in Deadpool 2. uh, This guy always delivers. And not only that, he's a really fun guy to talk to. He is a no-BS kind of guy. Great stories, uh, a straight shooter. And for all those reasons, I wanted to have him on the podcast for quite a while. He's got a new show on Amazon Prime. It's his first TV show in quite a while. Uh, A series that is close to his heart. He's an executive producer of it. It's very appropriate on this David Lynch episode that we're talking about Outer Range because it, I think, uh, I think Josh describes it as a metaphysical western. Uh, so it's kind of out there in a cool way. So uh, that show, I believe, it premieres this Friday on Amazon Prime. You should check it out, uh, and that's the main event. I think uh, you know a, a great career chat with Josh, and um, I think you guys will, will really dig it. You're going to hear that after my chat with David Lynch. So that's up next. So here's some context for David. David Lynch, um, where to begin? Okay, well, first of all, here's why I'm talking to David Lynch. David Lynch's last feature film, released in theaters, was Inland Empire in 2006. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a long while. Ironically, that is the last time I spoke to David Lynch. Uh, I remember interviewing him. I actually found it online. I dug it up. Uh, I talked to him. I also talked to Laura Dern. And it is a... It is a through-and-through through David Lynch film. It is, it, is, it is out there in the best possible way. Uh, I'm not going to even attempt to describe the plot of the film. I mean, famously, I think Laura Dern was asked to describe the plot of the film and couldn't. So it's not about that. It's about what you take out of it, what you, your interpretation is. It's about sitting with it and uh, sitting with the performances and the unique visual style. This was David Lynch's first foray into digital filmmaking. This the reason for this chat is that Inland Empire is getting a theatrical release. It is currently playing in a bunch of cities, including my hometown here in New York City, in Los Angeles and in various cities around the country. It's getting a real theatrical release, which is really cool, especially in these times when, you know, outside of Marvel and Star Wars and, you know, all the usual blockbusters, it's hard to get into actual physical theaters. Uh, But Inland Empire has a real presence, and that is awesome. Uh, David Lynch supervised the um, re- the um, uh, restoration process of this film, uh, and you'll hear him talk about it. He's very excited about it. Um, Lynch. And I knew just every minute with David Lynch would be fascinating. I couldn't resist it. And I'm, I'm happy I did it. Um, there are morsels of wisdom in even these 10 minutes with Mr. David Lynch. Um, he, there's nobody like him. If you're not if you're not you know keeping up to date with David Lynch, even though he hasn't directed a feature in some time, he has kept busy. Of course, in recent years, there was the brilliant Twin Peaks, The Return, which It still staggers me that it even exists. He directed 18 hours of Twin Peaks for us, guys. He co-wrote 18 hours of Twin Peaks, and it was brilliant. It was like nothing else on television. Um, And now he's been keeping busy lately uh, on YouTube. And, I mean, it sounds insane to say that, but check it out. Every day on YouTube, every weekday, I believe, he does his weather report which, you know, the true David Lynch fans know he did way back when, like 20 years ago. Um, but that's back on YouTube. He also does a number of the day. It's all the quintessential, perfect, weird David Lynch, Lynchian kind of things. Um, and, and he may or may not be working on some feature film or television work. The rumor this past week was that David Lynch has a new film premiering at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, I kind of referenced that towards the end of the the conversation and you'll hear David say, it's just a rumor that it's not true. I don't know if he's telling the truth or not. I hope he's actually not. I hope there is a new feature film (laughs) there. I truly do. Um, uh, he also refused to talk about for what it's worth. Uh, I brought up his, uh, reported role in the new Steven Spielberg film, The Fablemans. Uh, the reports are that he plays John Ford, uh, in that film, which is a very personal story of. Uh, Steven Spielberg's childhood Uh, he of course a famous child of divorce so it could be a very busy year for David Lynch fans we may or may not have a new film tv series there are rumors of a Netflix series I don't know we'll see what happens Uh, and hopefully we'll also see him on the big screen in uh, Steven Spielberg's *The Fabelmans* later this year. So that's some context for this conversation. Uh, it's also some context for why I mention what the number of the day is and what the weather in LA, referencing, of course, his YouTube videos. Um, yeah, so that, that that's all you need to know. I hope you guys enjoy this. I mean, he's he's just a he's he's a one of a kind master. And uh, like I said, I couldn't resist it. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this chat with David, followed immediately by the usual deep dive uh, conversation with truly one of our great actors working today and one of the great conversationalists. So don't sell it short. Don't stop after David Lynch. Stick with it. David Lynch coming at you first, followed by Mr. Josh Rowland. Hello there, Mr. Lynch.
1: Hey, Josh.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time today, sir. This is a true a true honor. Thank you, sir. You got it. Um, I've already learned that my my number of the day is five. I know the weather is good out there, so I feel like I'm in safe hands with David Lynch today.
1: <laughs> good deal. <laughs> uh,
0: congratulations, sir, on um, the, the, you know it's a it's it's a feat for any film to have a shelf life more than a week. Sadly, it seems like nowadays, and here we are talking about Inland Empire. The last time I spoke to you was about Inland Empire fifteen years ago, sir. So something wow. is going right in the universe.
1: Good deal, good deal, bud.
0: Talk to me a little bit about um, the challenge of getting this back in theaters. Did, did did folks come to you with this? Was this something that you had that that you were seeking, or, or what?
1: No, folks came to me. Um, uh, you know, um, I don't know what. Uh, prompted them, you know, like, uh, Criterion, um, they, they have a repu- great reputation of gathering together what they call Im- important cinema. They came to me and wanted to do, um, I think it was, I'm not sure which came first, Eraserhead or then Mulholland Drive maybe, and I don't know all the different ones. But anyway, um, then came uh, Inland Empire. And it gave me a chance because the 15 years that passed to um, use modern technology to do even more upresing from the quality of the Sony PD150, which was low, low, low res. So it's such a fantastic world. These algorithms, this new AI thing that we used uh, jumped this thing like you can't believe, and modern uh, breakthroughs in sound cleaning of dialogue came along and also helped you know the sound. So um, Inland Empire is um, you know a richer, deeper, more focused you know piece of cinema uh, with better sound now. And so it's a, it's a great, big, beautiful world.
0: Even, even by your standards, this was an unusual undertaking. I mean, this was a film. It was the first film uh, project you shot, I believe, on digital. It was a film without a complete script. When you started shooting it, you kind of, it kind of evolved as you went. D- it, for those reasons, does it hold a special place in your heart because of the methodology, the approach to the film?
1: Uh, every film holds a special place in my heart. Uh, But um, it was uh, the digital world that I really fell in love with, even though I, along with lots of others, know that film, celluloid, um, emulsion, grain, this was and is the most beautiful so far and there's nothing like it. And modern technology has also shown what fantastic things are in that emulsion on a little teeny 35 millimeter frame that can now be seen. that couldn't be seen when the film came out originally. Right. It's amazing what that, is, that emulsion captures, those lenses and emulsion and the whole rig. And and so it's uh, then, but that digital brought speed, the possibility for faster, longer takes, freedom, lightweight. It 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 was like a giant breath of fresh air, and it the, the, so much benefited from that, but the quality wasn't there. And, but the quality is getting better and better and better and better, and we're just at the brink where the next generation will surpass emulsion, you know, the the, f- the film, and um, and it's 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 right right around the corner. It's right there. I want to
0: bring up your collaboration with your actors in this, you know, front and center. I vividly remember the awards campaign like no other for the great Laura Dern for this one. I mean, it's a unique opportunity. It's one of the benefits, I guess, of sticking in this business for, for as long as you and Laura have in that you first work with her when she's a teenager and you get to work with her at these different stages in her life. Um, I mean, just talk to me. I mean, you did that recently in Twin Peaks with her and Kyle and so many others. That must just be a great joy for you to it, return to these and actors. And, because yeah. I'm
1: in love with her and um, she's family and um, she's so talented and we love working together. So, you know, and, and when we when did Inland Empire, nobody was working with digital film. It was like looked down upon, like, yep. like sort of a a very, very bad thing. We took off working on on Inland Empire with the Sony PD150, and Laura stuck with me and um, we made uh, one of the earliest digital films. And it was also at a time when The internet was, you know, in such a way that it was still kind of strange to know that I could sit at the corner of Hollywood Boulevard and uh, La Brea in a kind of a church yard with a cow (laughs) and that could travel around the world. Yes. In a matter of hours. Yes. And uh, Laura's husband at that time, Ben Harper was in Paris and called her and said, I just saw you. I saw David with a big placard of you on Hollywood Boulevard. So it's like now it would be pretty you know, understandable that it would go around the world. Things go around the world instantly. But uh, then it was a big, a kind of a strange thing. Well,
0: and I was just going to say, it's one of the things that I, I admire about you is that, you know, so many filmmakers can, it's, it's, it's part of the reason I feel like some filmmakers as they age, frankly, they atrophy and, and they kind of hit, they go past the peak is they don't adapt. And you look, I mean, you're, you're contributing YouTube content every day now, like you, 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 you are, you are so open to finding new ways to express your art. And that must keep it fresh and must keep it exciting and must keep it vibrant for you as you. Um, so you're not stuck in amber in the past
1: well it's not something you can you can force it's something that comes along and or it doesn't come along so but i i do think that um people it generally speaking generally speaking um you know like when you're a baby when you're a baby it's real hard to hold a Sony PD 150 camera. I mean, you've seen babies try to do it, but it flops out of their hand. Then they get to be a little older and they can hold that thing. And then they get to a little bit older, they can get some ideas and they can make films. And they get older and they make some really, you know, interesting films. And then they get older and something happens and they stop, you know, wanting to do that. And they go into what they call retirement. Right, <laughs> and right. it's kind of, and then they get old and they can't hardly walk, and then they, you know, die. So um, it's just the way it is, and it makes room for the new things. And it, you know, they always talk to old people, all young kids. You know, it makes you puke in <laughs> a way. Um, but it's like this is what, generally speaking, happens. Yeah, it doesn't mean that an old person. Can't get a great new idea. And, and so I always say, you've got to practice transcendental meditation so you can transcend and infuse that you know, consciousness and grow in that. And that is unbounded creativity inside you, that you can tap, unbounded happiness, that you can tap, unbounded energy, intelligence. It's there. You're a fool not to go and get it. But people hear about it. They say, no, not for me. Or I practice this other kind of thing. You've got to transcend to get it. That's the, that's the secret. Anyway, uh, so you can get old, new ideas and be an old person. <laughs> one,
0: one last thing for you. I know our time is short. Um, no, no, no. It, it sounds like uh, I'm very curious to see your collaboration with another great filmmaker. You were apparently in Steven Spielberg's next film did it take much arm twisting to get you into that film was it an enjoyable experience
1: an nda i cannot uh talk okay. about that but um i guess it's true um but i can't talk about it
0: fair enough there's as i understand there are a number of things we can't talk about with your upcoming work i hope whatever no, happens
1: there's nothing i don't have a film it can you don't I, oh okay i okay. do not have a film it can no okay. that's a rumor that is okay. a bona fide rumor
0: Okay, fair enough. We've set the record straight. Well, regardless, I will take any excuse to catch up with you, sir, whether it's re-releases of your brilliant older work or new works. I hope we get to see some more Twin Peaks before all is said and done. Uh, I just want to thank you for just all your contributions over the years, sir. You know, I usually do very long conversations. They offered me this and I said, I cannot resist 10 minutes with one of my idols. So, So thank you, sir, for the time today.
1: Josh, it was a real pleasure and all the best to you.
0: Congrats on the new show, man. I've been watching it six episodes in. Crazy, cool stuff.
2: You have all eight? I do. I do. glad. Just got back from Churchill Boxing Club, which is my foray back into From Brothers, which is getting completely out of shape, gaining weight, you know, this whatever idea that I had in the back of my fucking head. But now it's about getting ready for Dune. So I was like, I have to... You know i the, the intention was finnish brothers get right back into shape and then you know what i mean and that didn't happen when you have a one-year-old and a three-year-old it's much less likely to happen because you're focused on that one is focused i am focused and so i did a boxing thing today which was very there's a guy, an actor, Frank Grillo, who I of course really, he's, really he's, done, he's done the podcast. Yeah, he's the best. One of the sweetest human beings ever, and truly humble and truly tough, like a real tough guy. And he was like, you know, you should go to Churchill, which I had gone to a long time ago. And I said, look, I just have to st- I have to wake, you know, waken everything up, or I have to waken all these kind of small muscles up. Anyway. Long story short, I went today and it was like I had epilepsy after. <laughs> it was like all the seizures job, all over, all it, these muscles. Literally. Yeah, yeah. Like all this stuff was, it just, it, it, I, my body was completely freaking out. And if you had seen the workout, it
0: was the most basic workout ever. <laughs> doesn't get easier, does it? No, dude. Grillo and Bernthal, those are the two guys I don't want to run into. I don't want to cross. Those guys are the real deal. I've never worked with Gorilla, but I have worked with
2: Bernthal and both guys. I have high, high, high respect for
0: good guys. Good guys through and through, as are you, sir. This has been a long time coming. I've been asking, begging, just groveling, And finally, Outer Range has given us a chance for the long form, deep dive where we're both going to be crying by the end. Uh, Josh Brolin, official welcome to the Happy Say Confused podcast, man. Um, I mean, you're someone I've always enjoyed talking to because, I mean, you either you either. Don't bullshit, or if you are bullshitting, you're doing it in a very entertaining way. So that makes for a good conversation.
2: I, I think, yeah. Well, you know what? If, if I'm bullshitting, you know I'm bullshitting. I think I do. That? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, don't think I lie, bullshit. I think I bullshit like in your face, satirically bullshit. Yeah.
0: I, I'm also just fascinated. I mean, I, I have the utmost respect for you and, and your career and the way you've carried yourself, and and the way. And the path of your career, which is like, there's no tried and true path for any actor, but you, I don't know, you have like this demarcation point, as you well know. Like, do you view like pre-2007 Josh Brolin as like version 1.0 and then version 2.0 post No Country? Because it's it's two different lives career-wise, seemingly, yet it's the same guy.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. There's no way not to see that kind of I don't, I don't know if I'd call it a turning point or an, op- I think it's just really an opportunity. You know, I had done some things before that, you know, flirting with disaster was a high point, but it was usually because a director, just like with, with no country, it was usually because a director had some insight or belief or felt like I could do something that, that it would bring something that nobody else had brought yet, or whatever that is, yeah. you know. And, and I've tried to talk to the Coens about it, and they're absolutely uninterested in in breaking that down or deconstructing that at all. But I know with flirting with disaster, it was David. That was an Asian role initially. It was like you know Mike Wong or something, and and I got in there somehow, and I read for it, and he just liked this one thing that I did. And I remember Miramax at the time said they were abjectly against me doing the role. I mean, they, they just said that's somebody who should have made it, who didn't. And like, why do you want to do that? We want to, okay. we want to obviously use people that are up and comers and this and that. And ironically, once I did that, and I think I'm the only name that's not on the poster. I mean, they, they did everything they could, you know, could do to, to, to make it obvious that I was unwanted. And, and the movie was really fun and I was happy about, you know, what we created and, and there was a lot of creating on the set and a lot of collaboration, a lot of writing together. And then I became like a Miramax guy for a right. few movies and then whatever. But, it, but yeah. I think 2007 created, I was doing Grindhouse and then No Country came up and I, you know, as you know, the story. I, I, I auditioned for it, you know, and, and Quentin and, and Robert helped me. And their response was, Who lit it? They were not interested in the actor in the audition at all. I mean, to the point of not even mentioning it. And then I got into a room and, and they saw something that they wanted. So I, I feel very good that that wasn't just a one off, kind of like flirting was.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say. In those years since, Was there a sense of like, okay, I've been called up to the big leagues. This is what ostensibly I've been wanting for all these years. Now it's time to put up or shut up. And like, how much of that is in your control then? Like, I mean, was it easier to chart a path in those years, those initial years after, or was it as much of a struggle in a different way?
2: And I don't. I don't know if it was a. I, and, and I also don't know. It was like this is where I wanted to be. You know, people always said to me for years. They said, you know, you're. It's right around the corner for you. And I was like, after twenty years, you go. So wh- where's the corner? What's the corner look like? Just give me an idea of what it looks like. And then I remember getting to a place where I was. I said, I'm good. I'm. I'm like. I'm a working actor. I'm able to survive doing this profession. I'm able to put my kids through school and all that. So I'm okay. And I think it's ironic that around that time, I did my last TV show and, and the energy, the amount of energy that's asked of one um, f- to do a network TV show, I was not, I was just not interested in after a while. So I said, I would rather not act right. than do this again. And I really liked the show, the last show that I did in Lawrence O'Donnell Jr. And I loved him and I still am good friends with him. But there was something about that Energy and and that output and and that it was content 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 you know it was we we didn't finish this scene so let's grab that scene yeah. let's grab the reverse of that scene and we're doing five other scenes today and all that kind of stuff that I just wasn't interested in and in creating that hole I do think that you know it was there to be filled and 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 you know I I said I'm fine I found a niche in in stock trading and all that kind of stuff and how ironic that no country would happen like within. I don't know, a year and a half or two years. I think if you're willing to let certain things go, it's such a cliche, but if you really are, you know, it was like way back in the day when, when, when I, I got um, some small surfer part in the Annette Funicello Frankie Avalon back to the beach, you know, their comeback and I'd gotten the role. I just didn't want to, I don't know. There was something about the role I just didn't want to do or about the movie. And then, there was a series that everybody wanted called Private Eye, and it was all the people from Hill Street right. and uh, NYPD Blue and uh, St. Elsewhere. And there was just no way I was going to get that role. And, and I was so I said, well, I don't think I'm going to take this Annette Funicello, Frankie Avalon thing. I think I'm going to go for the series. And I got called by four different agents at ICM telling me what an idiot I was. And I remember I went out to the basketball court of this friend of mine's house and I shot baskets just to kind of have the moment to myself. And I said, I don't care if they think I'm an idiot. And so I'm glad that I have that thing. However, that was instilled, I think, by my mother. But I've just, fuck it. Let's just go for this
0: one. I know it's not going to happen,
2: but let's go for it. And I think that's kind of enabled. These opportunities to be able to have.
0: You you mentioned your mom because I mean, and I know you lost her relatively young, and and she sadly I guess didn't get to see a lot of the, these recent successes we've talked about. People, of course, know your dad from his acting work, but it sounds like by all intents and purposes, obviously, I mean, needless to say, everyone is the sum of their parts of both their parents. But like, as you look in the mirror today, you see both parts. You see you see your mom in there as much as your dad. What's what's which part is what? Break it down for me a little bit. I
2: see the facial structure of my father, for sure. sure. And he's a humble guy. You know, I think there's a, there's a, there's a bit of humility that I got from my, my father. My mother was not a humble person. <laughs> <laughs> my mother was, it's funny, because I just ran across somebody at a wedding. I was at a director's wedding who I just worked with. And, and uh, the, the, the people who started Gelson's were there. And I guess my, they were family friends way back in the day. And, and, and I ran into her and she told me all these, did you remember when you used to come over to our house and this, and just went on like a 20 minute monologue about my mother. And, and I haven't had that happen for a while, but yeah. people who I know, because my wife, you know, Catherine obviously never got to meet my mother. So once she becomes privy to these stories, you know, she only hears it from me. Yeah. My mother was a great character. She's like one of the last great characters of all time. And um, so I like to think that I have some of that in me, I like to think that, you know, I'm attracted to people with personality, I'm attracted to, uh, to that, you know, uh, aspect or character trait of people. And I think that absolutely comes from my mom and my mom was also a big reader, my mom could like pull down a 400 page book in a night. And, and then, and it was usually like bad books, like true crime books, you know? And then she'd call me and say, you have to come and sit next to me in my bed. Cause I feel unsafe right now. Totally like a completely irresponsible mother. And she even, she would admit that, you know, ran a wildlife way station. My brother and I had to clean out the wolf cages and the, and the cougar cages and all that from like seven years old. I mean, just not okay, but great to talk about right. alive.
0: Exactly. Well, it's funny because the way you describe them just now, it kind of does encapsulate what I know of you, which is kind of like, you're the character actor weirdo in the leading man body, kind of like you've lived both lives and you've got like the eccentricities, which makes every character like you can't play the boring leading man with all due respect.
2: It's interesting. And I'm not going to mention who it is, but somebody just stopped by the house and and this is very rare that this happens, but he's an actor that I know. And I really like him a lot. He's a good dude. And he was talking about shaving his head, doing this thing. And everybody was like, you can't do that because people know you as this thing. And I thought how funny I said, I'm the opposite. I'm like, nobody expects. And I'm very grateful for it that nobody expects, like I'm kind of this in Neanderthal kind of category. (laughs) <laughs> where people are like you don't know what he's going to do it doesn't really matter it's not based on a on a type that we've accepted him as he's just gonna you know throw all caution to the wind and do whatever the fuck he wants which i i or whatever the collaboration yeah. you know creates and whatever we decide upon which is more tr- you know that's more truthful but
0: yeah what a, more, That's fun, really nice what a more fun lane to be in though man. I mean come on. Like I mean I, with all I love Harrison Ford don't get me wrong but Harrison Ford has had to be in that one lane for 40 years. He tried to
2: do other things yes. which I actually appreciated very much but remember when he was shot in the head and he had the Regarding Henry short sure. Regarding, Regarding Henry. Henry. Yeah. I, I like the movie personally yeah. but I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Daniel Craig is an amazing character actor. Good example but then yeah. he did this and why which is why to me he was one of the best bonds that has ever been yeah you know but it's hard because he had and he knows it he has this franchise now that he has to work against and i want to be able to find something with him because i know what that itch is you know i've done you know not that dune's not a character thing but or, or avengers or whatever it is but yeah. you do these kind of highfalutin movies and you, there's something that starts to scratch at your throat, or your 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 brain, or your desire, and that's how can we screw this up? <laughs> a lot of people do the opposite. How can we keep this going? Yeah. I have no interest in keeping this going.
0: Or just, playing it safe. I mean that that I mean that gives me a good segue to your new project. I mean Outer Range, like you were talking, Mr. Sterling, like 15, 16, 17 years ago, when you when you leave that one, and that's a network show, has some great talent behind it. But the thing that's changed is everything, right, in the last 15, 16 years and the environment that allows for something like Outer Range, which is a super fucking weird show. <laughs> and I say that like with the highest compliment, like it's yeah. not like you, you guys are embracing the mystery and like not laying it all out there. And yeah. that's got to be like a really creative, fulfilling place to be as Ultimately. an actor as, and as a producer.
2: Ultimately, during the process, it's very difficult. And 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 it was a very difficult show to do. And it's a tone that I think was very difficult to find. And I think if you're really truthful about it, it's like the idea of getting into this and saying, hey man, let's go for this big swing. And we're all in the middle of it saying, God, we're going for the biggest swing and isn't this weird and this and that. But the truth of the matter is you don't know how people are going to respond to it. And yeah. you, you you don't you know, what's the cohesiveness of the series? And, and, and does it really tie up? And, it, you know, does it, does it feel like one axe or does it feel truly tied together? Or what do people respond? Like to me, the hole was the biggest issue. And it's it's turned out to be the least issue. It's the, it's the one thing that people have literally as we've tested it, have gone, I don't know about all the other stuff, but I fucking love the hole,
0: <laughs> the hole is great. <laughs>
2: And I'm like, really? Okay, that's
0: great. We spent a lot of hours worried about that hole, but great. I
2: was worried about that hole. And I made a lot of jokes about the hole and all that kind of stuff. But the idea of, and you know what I'm going to say, the idea of taking a genre that's pretty straightforward and being able to turn it on its head with something supernatural or or metaphysical, I find really interesting, especially having been grown up on a ranch and having been truly deeply influenced by like Ray Bradbury and Isaac Asimov and, and and people like that, especially Bradbury, which just like, it just blew my whole world wide open. And yeah. I just thought, wow, you can think in these terms or kind of escape on these terms and actually come back and, and it, and it will, you know, kind of change the hue of your reality and all this kind of stuff and perspective. And I always found that deeply, deeply inspiring. So You know, this will be a process which I like. It will definitely not be boring in the making of whether we continue this thing or not. It will, there'll always be kind of an interior question mark that drives this thing, and me especially, of like, what can we do? What's the most interesting? in taking ordinary people and throwing extraordinary circumstances at them and watching
0: them tweak. <laughs> and it's also like surprising to me and what maybe it shouldn't have been surprising, but it's not like it's just a vanity piece for you. It's a it's true ensemble. Like, I mean, you give a lot of room for this great cast to have, to have some fun and sink their teeth into the material. That being said, like, I'm curious, like you as an actor, like I think it's an episode two, you've got this great, like kind of little monologue at the kitchen table as the camera pushes in on you. Do you still mm. kind of get off on that? you got when you kind of know like it's your day to i don't
2: know if i get off on it i think i get i get scared which i think is the whole point yeah i think again it's like oh above title to this this is your show how are you going to play it safe that's not playing it safe right that's a scene that you can really fail on you know And, and and i like that aspect i don't like it while it's happening I like it as a concept. (laughs) I like it as a reaction, but while it's happening, you know, you, that's when you go home and you actually study, you know, that's, I was talking to, to Anthony Hopkins about that and he, no, I know that's a name drop moment, but it was like, he's a guy who I truly look up to because, you know, he, he, there's a similarity in how we think there's a humility in how we think. And then there's also that, that factor of like, I know what it takes in order to be in the most effective place when you do something like that. And what it is, is study, 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 study. Some people like to do it off the cuff. They don't want to be over-rehearsed. We're kind of the opposite. You know, we read the script 150 times. We'll go over the scene hundreds of times. And, and then to me, then you kind of like, you have the ability at that moment to pretend like You never looked at it before, and then it hits you from different angles, and you're like, oh, wow, let's go down that road, or well, you're thinking of something in the middle of doing the speech, and I get up and the table goes over or something like that, and you go, okay, that doesn't work. We didn't get it on film because you didn't
0: tell us you were going to do it. (laughs) That becomes exciting to me. And to not tense up in that moment. Cause yeah, I've heard Anthony Hopkins talk about this. I mean, to hear him talk about it, he's not even working. It's like, I show up and I say the, say the lines. He's obviously minimizing it completely. He's doing oh, the work like you he's are. He's lying
2: what he's doing. He's, so. lying.
0: he's lying. But, for, I've, cause I've heard you talk about this before. And look, I've talked to every matter of actor and I, you gotta respect all the processes as long as it's not fucking with someone else's process. Right. Um, but like you do the, the work, most, a lot of the work before you even get to set so that you can, as you kind of just said, you can play and be hopefully relaxed and in the moment. I'm curious, like, do you, do you work well with every kind of actor? Can you work with the guy that's like in it and is just kind of like, he's Thanos at the catering table too? Like, is that, does that fuck with you? Or are you like, okay, Yeah, I,
2: I've been very, very lucky and I haven't been, I've heard horror stories and I've worked with people who those horror stories are about. And I've never had, I it, or, or rarely have I ever had to deal with that. Yeah, I, I don't know if, <laughs> I, don't, I mean I know what I bring to a sat, and 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 I know that I call everybody out, and I think that that's probably my survival technique. Right. And and and. It, it, it's, it's almost like uh, dictating that that thing doesn't work here, whatever it is. I don't know. And I don't want to sound arrogant in that. But I, 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 I've been very lucky to work with some either well-known incredible actors or totally unknown incredible actors. And what I've found, especially with well-known actors and while working with well-known directors is, again, there's an incredible humility there and there's a a deep uh, um, um, work ethic. Yep. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not saying that I would tell you the, I mean, you know me, I would tell you the opposite. If there were people that I go, Oh no, that, that, that guy's just a dick. Right. It's just, but, and, and everybody does have a different process, but I think, I don't know, man, I've, I've really been, it's crazy. I mean, even working with Oliver, I'd heard horror stories about Oliver and Oliver was the kind of, I'd, I'd heard things that I don't think are true about Spike. And so I got along with Spike probably better than any director other than the Coens that I've ever worked with. Wow. And I just loved him. I yeah. loved everything that he was about. I loved how he pushed. I loved how he went, you know, I asked him at some point, like, what? Like, I'm a little afraid of this character. What do you think? And he goes, kill it. That's what I think. I think you're going to kill it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I was like, That's a direction. All right, Spike you the know? cheerleader, good. Um, so I've been very fortunate. Yeah. I've been very
0: fortunate. So, okay, I, I- forgive me, I'm going to bounce around a little bit, but I'm curious. Okay. Like over, over the years you've, I, it's funny. I was talking to like, of all people like Jerry O'Connell yesterday, and we talked about stand by me and how stand by me, like over the years, he kind of had to kind of, you know, come to terms with it. There were times where he loved talking about it. Times where he hated talking about it. Uh, My sense from you is maybe you had a little bit of that with Goonies for a while. I don't know. Was that, was there a, a kind of a journey with Goonies? And now that sadly we lost Dick Donner in the last year, is there a new perspective on that journey and on what not that means. because of
2: losing dick i think that there was new perspective once you know things like no country or american gangster right. and milk happened because you know i mean some people again some people thrive off this and i'm not even saying anybody in the goonies but you know if you're lucky enough to have one movie that people remember i think that's a huge thing in our industry um or that chosen profession but i i i didn't want that personally you know, so it was 20, <laughs> 20 somewhat years of you're the dude from the Goonies. You're the yellow brother from the Goonies. And after a while, you're like, nah, yeah, yeah. Um, hey, do you want a doubloon? I can get you one. You know, no, I don't want one. Do you want a piece of the house? No, I really don't want a piece of the house. But um, not because I don't care. But yeah, because I don't care. <laughs> uh, and then it's a really, really wonderful moment or it was a wonderful moment when I was able to not only look at that, but look at thrashing, which became like a cold hit Right. and people coming up and saying, you know, you have no idea what that movie did. It changed my life. You know, like my parents were this types of people, these types of people. And I got into skateboarding and if it wasn't for skateboarding, I probably wouldn't have lived past 13 or whatever. And now I can hear that. Whereas I couldn't before right. I was like, I sucked in that film. I wish we could do it over kind of thing, you know? So I love talking about the Goonies now to the point that we did a a reunion reading and I had a blast. I think I, I think Martha Plimpton and I were more into it than anybody. We had like props, like little bicycle props. And you know what I mean? It was like, it was really, it's really fun to be able to, get to a place in your life where you can embrace things that should be embraced
0: but that you don't because you feel like it defines you in some way. The baggage is gone because you've accumulated enough other fun stuff to talk about. I totally get it. I'm curious, you know, like the choices you've made again, these last 10, 15 years, when like the, the, the great directors have, have, I mean, I guess it's easy. Like, look at the Coen brothers call, you say, yes. I mean, that, that's an easy one, but are the, are the blockbuster kind of things tough to figure out? has it been tough to figure out which one to say yes to, to say yes to Thanos, to say no from what I gather, or I don't know what happened on Jurassic world. Like, why was that the one that didn't work out when these other ones did?
2: I don't, it's an, it's an, it's an instinct, man. And
0: you know that there's only one movie
2: and I might tell you what it is. There's only one movie. And again, I don't like even that one movie, I don't look at like, God, I should have done it. or That would have changed something or that would have, Cause I understand why I didn't do it. Mm. This one movie that I'm talking about with InuRitu, And I think what it's wasn't based on the movie. It was based more on working with another great director. And I still appreciate him as wanting, being one of the great directors. Um, but that's all I'll say. Wait, wait, um, Revenant? Wait, but, now I'm going back. No, it's not. It's not Revenant, right. but it's another one. Right. Um, <laughs> so, it doesn't have that
0: big of a filmography. I'm going to figure it out, Josh.
2: But, like, but let like, you know get uh, I know he doesn't. Um, but it was a Moros It was playing oh, one of the dogs. Yeah. Um, it was, it, it So, so when I, you know, with like Avengers, that wasn't supposed to be what it turned out to be. That was a much smaller, you know, a, and they had given me this Bible. I think I was doing Everest at the time and I was in London and they brought this Bible over and I, I just, I loved kind of how inside it they were and how into it and how impassioned they were. And I knew Luis Desposito when he was a first AD. And so there were all these connections and I was like, oh, this would be fun. This is something different to do right now. You know, something like um, Deadpool, you know, that was more around like, there is no 50 year old guy that does an action film for the first time like there's 30 year old guys that build a career on it, but there's no 50 year old dude that shows up and does that. That was interesting to me. That was, that's a big swing kind of thing to me. And then Jurassic world, you know, with all respect to Steven, you know, I, I just started, I just, it, it didn't, I could not picture me doing it. I could not picture me being that guy. And I'm very, very happy based on my decision of what Chris does with it because I think Chris is the right guy. Do you know what I mean? When I saw Chris in Guardians of the Galaxy, I was like, because I knew him a little bit before that and I was just like, what? I mean, we all were. Sure, I even said it to him kind of embarrassingly when I saw him at a party once and I was like, dude, what the fuck? You know what (laughs) I mean? And it was kind of, it was embarrassing. I was, because I get really excited about other people doing well. You know, it doesn't just have to be me. And, and so yeah, I think he's, I think I knew from a big picture standpoint that
0: somebody else would do a much better job than me. I've asked you about this in the past. I'm, I'm only bringing it up because I feel like this would have been cool. I know there've been like six Batmen that have come and gone since then. There's a new Batman every 18 months now, <laughs> but you were, did, did the idea of being Batman for a second when Zach had that conversation with you, excite you?
2: Yeah, yeah. that was interesting to me. That was his decision. That wasn't my decision. Got it. That was his decision. Um, that was an interesting, yeah, that was an interesting con again, because like something that is set up to not work at all or to work flyingly. I like, I like those odds. Yeah. I like playing with those odds. I'm like, am I the guy who's going to make it all fail? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're, well, screwed up. Think, you're screwed up by the man. way who, who I didn't think was bad but what you know you talked to Clooney and he's just like yeah he's still joking about it I know <laughs> <He> <laughs> and
0: it loves, wasn't his he fault loves, he loves a nipple joke he loves a good he loves nipple a nipple
2: joke, joke <laughs> and I was all Joel but you know he didn't do anything wrong um but yeah that that's a because again it would have been that was before Deadpool 2 yeah it would have been the older you know, more the raspy
0: for lack of a better word. No, you were closer to that that Dark Knight Returns comic book uh, that I envisioned. Like if you can't if you can't get Eastwood, who is a little too old long in the tooth to play that, no. I could see Brolin doing that. So that, I mean yeah, it's that, one of those what ifs that would have been, a that
2: deal. been cool. Honestly, that would have been a fun deal.
0: And yeah. maybe I'll do it with an 80. <laughs> hey, there's time. Um, you and Denis uh have a good thing going, needles to say. That's a good one to hit your hit your wagon too. Um talk to me a little bit about you said so so dune is coming up relatively relatively soon for you is this have you insisted this time your songs don't get cut did you take a person do you take but, it personally when I, denis cuts a scene from you
2: i did he was he felt really bad he actually felt really bad <laughs> um and it and it takes a lot for me to sing but um we, we we will do it again and it will stay unless i'm so even if i'm bad they'll put somebody else's voice in there because <laughs>
0: um, like celine dion that's not yeah, josh Pearl.
2: Yeah, what exactly. <laughs> wait a second that's a girl um yeah i i yeah i look forward to this next one
0: do you know what's in store have you seen anything yet like script wise or no it's too early
2: no i've been told i actually haven't been given a script and javier and i spoke about it the other day which is why i was boxing today because when we saw each other at the oscars You know, we both said that we had talked to Denis the week before and that we panicked because he was like, you know, you're in the desert and you're with the Fremen and, and, you know, you fight for a lot of the movie and, and, and and I did, I panicked because I still had my paunch and so did Javier. So we both went
0: on this instantaneous diet. (laughs) You remember the still suits, do not forgive that body. They, they, they cling to every morsel.
2: Yeah. And it's a different thing when you're in your fifties, man, it's like, it takes a lot longer and it's a lot. More work to get back into that kind of shape.
0: Um, you mentioned the Oscars. Don't worry, I'm not going to rehash the controversy of the Oscars. But I want a bigger picture stuff. Um, do you lose sleep about like the state of the industry? It's, it's the elephant in the room we all talk about. But like, we all love movies, and we and like, I don't know about you. Like, do you worry that it's Marvel and Star Wars are bust in theatrical? There's this dwindling audience clearly for the Oscars that doesn't seem to ever be coming back. Like there are real signs that like we are in a major, we're living in the major shift, and there might not be a, a, a going back. Is that I something that worries you?
2: There was a there was a there was a point where every studio and every negotiation was based on, well, the industry isn't what it was before. And that was a negotiational tactic, but it was never true. And um And and now there's a shift and now the shift is because of a lot of different things because of Marvel, it's because of, you know, what Thomas Toll created, who's a really good buddy of mine, you know, which is the tent pole kind of system and spend a lot more money on a movie, go big. And then the profit margin is much bigger and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I, I worry is not the word, you know what I mean? Are you malleable within the shift? You know, we're not vaudevillian actors anymore in a in a in a in a wagon that gets put down in the middle of a forest or whatever. And nine people show up, and we're able to lie ourselves through you know whatever story. And I think story is so essential, man. It's the hand me down. It's the it's the you know the 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 fire pit, you know, hand me down of stories and you know things that I grew up with and that I appreciate very much. And again, just in the big picture of things. You hope it doesn't get marred by only escapism, and that there is some social mirror that is that is that is still incorporated into our storytelling, which I think is the point—to be able to identify in some way and to say, "Oh wow," or like with Ray Bradbury when I was a kid, being, "God, I would love to live in that world just for a moment," and and that's the type of artful escapism that I think is actually good for us and not necessarily bad because it enhanced my life for sure. But I don't, I don't get worried because I know things change. You know, it's like having kids, man. It's like having a 33 year old and a 28 year old. And then you have a three year old and a one year old. Well, are you a different person? Are you this, are you that, you know, that again, it's like, can you work within the chaos? Right. And I feel very, good because i don't have a set thing that i do so i already bring my own chaos into it so (laughs) as the shift happens i'm kind of going welcome i've been here the whole time right so how are we going to make this new medium of streaming work for us are we going to figure because nobody's figured it out yet what does this mean oh do you do a series because everybody's doing a series and all that no if i'm going to do a series I'm going to do eight episodes, I'm not going to do 22 episodes, and I'm going to do something that may fail miserably. And I'm, I'm willing to do that, just like I have been with movies and just like I have been with theater. I have no interest in gliding. Why haven't
0: you directed yet? You, you love photography, you love storytelling, you love the big picture, you have learned at the feet of the greats I'm kind of shocked maybe outside of having kids that are occupying your time. Is there another reason why you haven't directed? You
2: know, I mean, it's a good question. And it's a question that I need to be asked a lot right now because a lot of people have asked me, a lot of filmmakers have asked me very sweetly. And, and I think, I think part of it is I was, I was really focused on that road around no country. And there was, there was, and I was really lending my, you know, I'd done be behind the scenes in No Country, and nobody ever had had a camera behind the scenes of a Coen Brothers film, and we did that kind of satirical fun film for, you know, with that. And I had done X at the time, but I think one is time, and I think that what happened, I don't, I think it's experience too. It's like I've I, now I've gotten to the place where I've worked with enough people where I feel like I've garnered enough experience and enough point of view where it's time. So we're focused more, more on it now than we've ever been. Yeah. But I think there's a fear factor too. It's funny because you take full responsibility for that. And I think that I've done that like without a range or with brothers or with, you know, taking more of a producer and not like a vanity producer role, like a, like an active producer role. And, and, and I feel the weight of that. And, and, and I know I can deal with the weight of that. And I just think it's lending myself to finally j- just, fuck, dude, you got me all fucked up.
0: <laughs> just, um, just get out of the boxing gym. And no, no, I mean, look, it's a, just, it's a, a mean, huge you, undertaking. You, you
2: just got to do it. Yeah. You just got to do it. It's very simple. And, you know, I finished a play that I wanted to direct when I was doing Outer Range. I finished that play and I had all that cast read that play and it read pretty well and it's an interesting play a very strange off-camera play but an interesting play and I was going to direct that during this time but with kids there's no possible way um but yeah it's close I'm close thanks for asking no no I
0: mean it makes sense on paper and I hope you get to it at some point when the time is right I mean look there's too much to do I know it's been probably two decades since you've done stage here in New York we'd love to have you here but like that's that takes you out of the game for six months and moves your family and it's just practical life gets in the way and i get it um i asked you for a comfort movie i've been asking folks for comfort movies the last couple years when we need comfort uh Mm -hmm. it's always very telling i think in different respects by what we choose i love the the one you chose you've worked with this director before Mm -hmm. uh tell me why you chose what you chose and what why it brings you comfort
2: i don't you know there's a there's kind of a past i have with it and when you know i've had many surgeries and it was always in that kind of oxycontin haze <laughs> that I would put on Get Shorty because it, it literally there's there's in that haze post surgery there is a deep discomfort and for some reason <laughs> Get Shorty brought me great comfort and every time I see it even now not being in an oxycontin haze. I, it always brings me great joy. There's nothing I don't like about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> take
0: take two Oxycontin and one get shorty and see me in the, see me in the morning. Yeah, yeah, um, so that for those that don't know, and you, you, look, if you listen to this podcast, you probably do, but it's of course based on the Elmore Leonard book. It was written by the great Scott Frank, uh, directed yeah. by Barry Sonnenfeld. Amazing cast. What do we got? We got uh, John Travolta, Danny DeVito, um, Gene Hackman. I mean, there's no actor I talk about more on this podcast than Gene Hackman. Incredible. Incredible. um renee russo. Rene russo um and yeah it's one of those things that like james gandolfini gandolfini del Rolindo. it's a yeah it's a who's who of great character right. actors having right. fun and it feels like it's it, it, and look it, sonnenfeld's work is always fascinating to me because he's he's swinging forward his tone is kind of all over the place oh, and right. on the times when he hits it it's amazing and the couple times he hasn't it doesn't work but again you, you know no risk no reward and and, and elmore leonard stories um They're tough. They're tough to crack. And he did.
2: No, he absolutely did it. I think it's one of the most brilliantly, I mean, to Scott Franks, it's one of the most brilliantly constructed, structured um, scripts out there, I
0: think. What, what do you watch generally? Again, I know you're busy with young ones at home, but like, do you watch TV? Do you watch film? Like, what? What do you try watch?
2: to watch TV? You know, I, I, I uh, um, oh, what is that? Oh, it just escaped me. What is the big show right now? Zendaya, Zendaya
0: show. Oh, Euphoria, sure.
2: Euphoria. You know, I, I've seen some of those, which reminded me of this movie Waves that I really liked a lot. That a DP, Drew Daniels, um, who worked on outer range. And so I saw that because I knew he was going to or he was possibly going to work on outer range. And I saw that. So euphoria reminds me of that in a way. And, and I like it a lot. You know, I, I miss I miss the breaking bad days. You know, and and that may be just because I'm not, because I have kids and all that. And we're not just sitting in front of the TV. Yeah. But Breaking Bad to me was one of those things that you're like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it. And, you know, Bryan Cranston is so good. And, da, 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 and then you watch it and then you find yourself. It's three in the morning and you're like, you know, you have to wake up at seven. You just go, OK, just one more. Right. Just one more. I love that feeling. You know, I love that feeling. There was a movie that I saw this year called The Worst Person in the World. And I got that feeling. It was like, we had, to, we had to turn it off because we had to wake up with the kids. And then, we, we, you know, when we turn off a movie halfway through a movie, the, the likelihood that we're gonna get back to it is almost nil. And we had to the next step. It was like, both of us, my wife and I were like, we have to, so like, just put the kids to sleep early. <laughs> <Isn't Emotion>. the-
0: <laughs> <laughs> the oxy- um, no, no, is, but isn't that also a great feeling to see like also an actor you've never heard of before? And you're like, well, oh my god, this is this is a star. This is someone yeah. i to see the next. And when we were at the Oscars, 30 years
2: the Oscars, yeah. we saw Paul. You know, who I worked with on uh, on Inherit Vice, and and we were talking for a long time. And then he said, "Have you seen this movie?" And I was like, "Dude, yeah." We saw it. It's amazing. And he goes, "Oh, she's become a good friend of mine." I was like, "Introduce me." And I'm never like that. <laughs> I'm never ever ever like that. And and I had to meet her. And we talked to her for a very long time. And then we left. It was like the perfect, it was like, okay, that sweet was the spot. moment. Yeah, you did it. That was a sweet spot. <laughs> and then you don't go to the party after that. And then you're going to go to the other party after that. You just go home happy. And <laughs> I went home happy.
0: Yeah, she's really special, special actress, man. Are, are there are there filmmakers, you mentioned Ine Ritu, like are there one actors or filmmakers that you're surprised you haven't collaborated on that you've been chasing for the last couple of decades that you're still itching to-
2: there's no chasing going on because I've never been that guy. And I don't know why, but it, you know, you would think it would be lack of ambition and it's not necessarily or lack of interest, but I've never like Oliver was like, God, if I could only work with Oliver, I could only work with the Cohens, or I could only work with- I never had that. I just, mm-hmm. and there's never been a role. If I could just, there's one role that I've always wanted to do. I almost feel like I should have that at this point, but um
0: but someone like dinklage you know, who you just worked with that is is that the kind of actor where it's like a secretly on some kind of list in your brain you're like it'd be kind of cool to spend a couple few months no i think after up. i mean yeah it's to say no sounds like dicky but no no no, know, no yeah. it it
2: like once i had the idea then it became really really attractive like it had to happen kind of thing it's like of course these guys with the brows playing brothers doing a movie together their heads are like super large like it just makes all the sense in the world but it didn't happen until I had the idea that it should happen um, but <laughs> I'm just thinking whether I should tell you this thing but I'm not going to no. um. <laughs> it's it you know Spielberg again yeah. there's 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 movies that like I did a deep dive on Spielberg I did kind of a marathon on all Spielberg's movies when I was doing dune at one point I had it like Two weeks off, and I just watched a bunch of his movies, and I wrote him a long letter, and he wrote me back the kindest letter. And it's strange because that wouldn't necessarily, but there's something about that, you know, about Spielberg. Um, I'm surprised that I haven't worked with Clint Eastwood. You know, and again, filmmakers like Clint Eastwood, he's a very simple filmmaker. There's nothing, but. I'm surprised. I'm just surprised yeah. given the history and all that kind of stuff. So, but no, man, there's there's new filmmakers that are gonna come up and there's yeah. people that you know, and it's interesting because you have you have older filmmakers, OG filmmakers that we've all looked up to who are struggling right now. And that's that's the shift. That's a weird thing, that's a strange thing right now.
0: Still, I'm I'm happy when someone like Spielberg can still whip out a West Side story. And yeah. someone like George Miller can do Fury Road. And you're like, Ugh. I mean, th- unfortunately, th- those are the anomalies. But but yeah, or um, Spike
2: in, in Black Klansman, you know, after he did um, uh, Old Boy. And then I remember he was asking me, hey, would you do this like crowdfunder th- thing for me? And, and and I, you know, I mean, that's a guy who's malleable. Yeah. That's that's that is a born innate storyteller that totally. knows exactly like. That's he, he knows his place on this earth, yep. and that's to tell stories, and it's exactly right. Yep. And whether he's up here, whether he's down, he doesn't care. It's just, how do I tell a story? How do I get the money to tell a story?
0: When's the last time you auditioned for something? Do you care? Do you do it? Does it, I mean, you don't have to do that
2: anymore. Uh, I think, honestly, like American Gangster, I think my son played Denzel. <laughs> my 16 year old son played Denzel. I still have the audition and I cut it together. Um, but yeah, I think that, yeah, that was after swimming with the dog all night and I got home (laughs) at 10 o'clock in the morning and we did that audition and sent it in. And
0: then I heard probably a couple of days later. It's probably not in your life, like the way your life is built right now, but do you keep up with Marvel at all? There's too much. I mean, I'm a geek and I can't keep up with it all. So I'll give you dispensation if you're not, but do you watch like the the latest films, the latest TV shows, or are you kind of like I'm? You no, know, it's I don't funny. To. I do,
2: and I try. You know, Loki was a good show, and 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 uh, um, Paul and uh, Lizzie's show is is a really oh, good. I, show. I haven't That's seen my favorite it. of it. WandaVision is yeah. great. Yeah, like WandaVision, incredible yeah. show. Yeah. Yes, I'm interested for sure, but it's you know, it's funny that you're asking this because I literally had this thought yesterday. I was like, how interesting that they had that ten year kind of bookended moment and then what are they going to try to create another thing or they're going to see what pops are they going to are they just involved in tv now not j- exclusively but you True. know what i mean so it just as a as a kind of a from a business point of view i i uh, the the question surfaced and and it's curious to me
0: no one ever stays dead you know that thanos may have been killed already i feel like three or four times in a few movies but <laughs> yeah. keep, keep the
1: phone lines open I will, I will.
0: <laughs> um, Josh, I really appreciate the time, man. You're always a fun guy to talk to it, especially when we actually have some time to dig into it all. Um, the new show is Outer Range, folks should check it out. Like, look, if you, you, you admire this guy's work and the, and the swings he takes as an actor and as an artist, you'll appreciate what he's doing in Outer Range, which uh, is anything but typical and is um, aspiring to something cool and interesting. And it will work for me and it'll probably work for you. Um, thanks as always, man. And I, again, appreciate the time.
2: I appreciate it, man. Good to see you again.
0: And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't (laughs) pressured
1: to do this by Josh.